Having Sage approved audio for our car rides is a literal lifesaver for my nervous system. And I love making lists of podcasts to share with him when he's ready. I was so excited to hear about a new show called Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as M-A-T-H, math, geared toward the six plus crowd. Every episode follows two best friends, Max and Molly, who work together to solve riddles and math equations during their time traveling adventures. Recently, we had some family visiting, and on our way to dinner, we popped on an episode of Mysteries About True Histories, math, with my niece and nephew in the car. In this episode, Max and Molly travel back in time to solve a mystery from the order of the problem solvers, along with lots of kid humor mixed in. It was a fun way to enjoy our car ride together and opened the door for some interesting conversation about history and understanding some of the mysteries of the past. Episodes drop every Thursday and are about 15 minutes long, the perfect length for car rides and meal times, and stacked with so much laughter that your kiddos won't even realize how much they're learning. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. You're listening to Voices of Your Village. This is episode number 25. You guys, we made it to 25. That's so cool. I'm pretty stoked about this. And today's episode is so rad. I got to chat with Britt from Little Feminist Book Club, and we became fast friends. She's super rad. We dove into a few things, but largely like what it means to be a feminist and then how we teach this to our tiny humans. Uh, This was listener driven. So I had a parent reach out and ask how to raise a feminist child. I just want to clarify real quick that for me, that means that word feminism means equality for all genders. And Britt and I kind of go into this, but I think sometimes there's this negative connotation with feminism and I see that I get it like the future is female and whatever there's a lot of cool female power that I think sometimes goes toward the other side Um, and that's not what it means for me and I think it's remarkably important that we're raising tiny humans who believe that all genders are equal. I think that that's a huge key toward things like closing the gender pay gap and seeing more females who are CEOs and just general respect for genders across the board. So how do we do that? Well, it starts pretty early, very early on. And I reached out to Britt because her entire company is based on this premise, raising feminists from the get-go. Britt runs Little Feminist Book Club, which we'll chat about in the episode, but Little Feminist Book Club has uh, subscriptions that you can sign up for and you get a box a month that has a book and follow-up questions and activities to do with your tiny humans. And it's amazing. I got it for my niece for Christmas before Britt and I were even friends. And my niece absolutely loved it. My brother and sister-in-law said it was really fantastic. Um, Britt so kindly offered a special discount for Voices of Your Village listeners that will be available for the next two weeks. So head on over to littlefeminist.com and... 
pop in the code VOICES for $5 off uh, your subscription. Remember, you only have two weeks, so head over and do it right now. It's a great gift. It's an awesome gift for your own tiny human, for other kids, for birthday parties, all that jazz. And it's fantastic. So pop on over and do that, and let's dive in. Welcome to Voices of Your Village, a place where parents, caregivers, teachers, and experts come to support one another on this wild ride of raising tiny humans. We combine decades of experience with the latest research to create the modern parenting village. Let's dive into honest conversation about real parenting challenges so it doesn't have to be this hard. I'm your host, sleep consultant, child development specialist, and passionate feminist, Alyssa Blast Campbell. Today, I'm here with Brittany, the founder of Little Feminist Book Club. I personally have been a subscriber to this. I got my niece a subscription for Christmas, and my brother and sister-in-law raved about it. So when I had one of my listeners reach out and ask about bringing on a guest to talk about raising feminists, she was my first person that I turned to and so graciously is giving us her time. Hi, Brittany. Hey, hello. Hello, welcome. This is my first podcast, so <laughs> I listen to so many, but it's cool to be on the other side. <laughs> yeah, that's fun. I'm glad you're here with us. Can you yeah. tell us a little bit about who you are and your background? Sure. Yeah. So I am the founder and CEO of littlefeminist.com. We launched Little Feminist in November of 2017. So we've been going just for a few months, but I've been working on the company close to two years, although there's kind of been iterations of it. So um, yeah, but I, so I've been working on this for two years and my background is in, um, I guess before I started Little Feminist, I was at a company called babylist.com, which is a universal registry. And I was the chief marketing officer there. And then that's the job I quit. A very like nice pain <laughs> uh, job that I that I loved a ton to start my own company, and that was a couple of years ago. It's a big leap into the entrepreneur yeah. world. Mm-hmm. Well, Baby List is fantastic. So mm-hmm. that's, that's I'm awesome. a big fan. Yeah, always one of my recommendations. It's rad. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, why Little Feminist? Whew, okay, there's a there's it could take. <laughs> <laughs> Where to start? So when I was at Babylist, one of the things that I noticed was that books were kind of an anomaly gift. So in a world, and we actually saw this at Babylist, that fewer and fewer gifts were being bought. People want less stuff, which is really cool. Uh, but the exception to the rule was books. Folks always wanted more books uh, and folks loved giving books too. And I'm a huge fan of children's literature. Uh, I'm a little, I'm dyslexic. And so I've always actually loved picture books um, more than books without mm. pictures. And so when, uh, so I just always been fascinated by children's books and the children's book market while I was at Baby List. And then our current president was elected and I decided that if I was going to do something, it had to be now. And so I quit. And I didn't, I knew that I wanted to do something with children's books. And if you just researching, if 
when you start researching the children's book industry, the first thing that comes up is how um, white and male uh, children's books tend to be. And so I knew I wanted to do something with that, but I didn't know exactly what. So that was what, like November, that was about November, 2016. Uh, I quit to start some type of children's book company and little feminist kind of like how you source your podcast episodes was something that I sourced from uh, parents on social media, kind of asking, I did uh, a ton of focus groups and interviews and um, actually served ads on Instagram and Pinterest and Facebook and asked people what type of like books they wanted, uh, like what type of book club they wanted and what arose uh, was Little Feminist. It's amazing. I wonder how many people quit their jobs in November 2016. <laughs> that would be a good study. <laughs> to start something uh, that's meaningful and powerful. That's awesome. So it's interesting, actually, the other day I was in conversation with a parent who uh, is very much a feminist. And uh, I said something about being a feminist or marrying a feminist or something like that. And she it's like, oh, well, I don't identify that way. And I was like completely caught off guard. Um, that I, I didn't expect this from her. And so I was like, why? <laughs> and she was like, I don't know, like the label, what does it even really mean? And I started to realize like what it really means and the connotations that are often associated with the word feminist are very different. Right. Uh can you speak to your experience there? I'm sure you've encountered that a little bit through even yeah. just naming your company, I'm sure. Right, right. That was a whole, that was a, um, yeah, the process and actually in deciding on the name was something that kept me up <laughs> late at night for probably a couple <laughs> months. So, um, and and my story of kind of labeling, labeling myself as a feminist has been a process also. I like very clearly remember times in college when. I remember thinking, oh, I'm I'm not a feminist because I believe um, race and like socioeconomic inequality is a bigger deal than gender, and I think, and I think I mean I think that that's and I so I wasn't even educated on what uh, feminist meant, and then when the election happened, and I think just being out in the wor real world too. Um, or outside outside of college, seeing how how much gender plays a part, and with the election specifically, what my experience was realizing how ingrained, like how sexist I really was, and how many tiny tiny ways um, that gender plays a part in all of our lives. And more than once, I told friends and family that I just I thought that Hillary Clinton was quote unquote unlikable, and then only after words realized how that was gen that was enti almost entirely based on my opinions of her because of her gender because she was a woman and being unlikable and had she been a man there's no way I would have given her I would have given her that adjective and so um so it's been a process for me too and I think the election of Donald Trump was kind of the uh, the realization for me that I was um I was a sexist and we all <laughs> are and it's a it's a process of like build, like breaking down barriers that had been risen since we were in the womb. So um so it's yeah it's been a process for me too. The definition of feminist is uh some, the belief that all genders are equal. It's that simple. 
And I think it's come to mean a lot, lot more. And some argue that it's come to mean more than its definition uh, because of the society that we live in, that like the like patriarchy or white males don't want um, that assign or society assigns um, different meanings to the world word uh, than it, it really is. I absolutely agree. And mm-hmm. I love it being broken down just as simply as all genders are equal. Mm-hmm. Um, when you think of it like that, I think everyone would want to be a feminist <laughs> or yeah. I'd hope that everyone would want to be a feminist. Yeah. And um, I, you know, I think especially for, for men to be able to identify this way is, would be huge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and men don't just become men. They often start as boys. Right. Um, and so I think that the, the power in what you're doing is that we know that we develop 90% of our brain by the time we're five. And so getting into these tiny human brains with mm-hmm. clear intentional messages about gender being equal right. is without a doubt so important so early on. Um, yeah, I've been even thinking about the, I feel like after the election, we saw a lot, a lot of t-shirts and graphic tees and just messaging throughout. And one of them that I just couldn't get on board with is the future is female. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just shared, somebody had shared something on Instagram that I like reshared the other day that says the future is emotionally intelligent. And I realized like, that's really (laughs) what I want. That's cool. That's really Uh, cool. Because I don't want a future that is only female. Right. And it's also that puts it back on the on the binary, it, it, it male mm-hmm. or female, right? Rather than um rather than it being a spectrum, which is what we believe too. To to be honest, the de- the definition of feminism in the dictionary is that um the sex- sexes are equal and we've changed that to gender just because I think Marion Webster is slightly behind the times on on this one, but <laughs> otherwise we agree. Give them time to catch up. Yeah. Uh, I was gonna with the I uh with feminist and boys, one thing that's been really interesting. So when we so folks were asking for a feminist book club for kids. And then the question was, okay, well what do we call this company? And um I wanted to use littlefeminist.com. And I, uh, so I, I have the kind of a few mentors and every single one of them said, this is a horrible idea. You don't want to pick, like, you don't want to be political. And the other thing that they said was you, it initially, when you hear little feminist, it initially means women or girls to everybody. And, um, so it became a very hard, it, the, I was actually terrified for about two months. I was putting off the decision uh, and decided to go forward with it because um, it's important. I I want to help raise a generation of kids that don't just see feminists as girls. Um, yeah. And so that's that, that's something we think a lot about too. And there's actually a lot of a lot of people searching and wanting content about how to raise feminist sons and feminist boys also. So we're we're enjoying being part of that conversation. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Um, I and I think that uh, that's where our greatest change will come. Mm-hmm. Right? Is that I think certainly we can move the needle on women as feminists, or even right. just understanding what that what that means. Um, but until right now, 
we are still living in a patriarchal society. And until that mm-hmm. shifts, mm-hmm. Um, that's where we'll see, I think, the greatest mm-hmm. change is when men are fighting for women too. Right, right. If we had gotten, if little, if Trump had been a little feminist subscriber <laughs> when he was little, <laughs> It'd be right? a different world. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's, it's a lot, it, it, it gives me a lot of pause to think about, I think usually, because we also, uh, we focus on our, the books that we curate feature strong female characters and or people of color. So it's not actually always women. Uh, our book for March is actually Jabari Jumps and people were, which is about a little boy named Jabari who's black. And people were kind of had paused first and wondered why we had selected it. And then when they kind of read why we had selected it, uh, understood. But it's, diverse books can't just be for diverse kids. <laughs> um, right. And that is the assumption, just like feminists can't just be women. It has to be more than just women and girls. Yeah, absolutely. It's about raising an inclusive society in general. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's fantastic. So that was my next question is how do you choose the books that Uh, you are choosing? And yeah, what kind of, what's the criteria there? Yeah, good question. So it is probably takes us about six months before we decide to include a book. It, um, myself, we have a resident teacher on staff, um, a librarian who consults with us. Uh, and then we have a, like a group of parents. So myself, the librarian and the teacher do, um, a lot, a lot of research, um, for books that have won. And, and we're looking the books, like one book we included, uh, Katie and the Big Snow, is a 75-year-old book. So we're not just doing recent books either. So we start with a lot of research, then um, order books that we think have potential. So we're looking for strong female characters, people of color, and um, and the books don't even necessarily have to be, it doesn't have to be about feminism. Jabari Jumps was a, is about a little boy who jumps off the diving board. What we loved about it was it's a little boy, a primary caregiver is the father in the book, and they have a conversation about emotions, which is just extraordinarily hard to find. Mm-hmm. Um, so we order a bunch of books, then we give those to a team of parents uh, dispersed throughout the country and ask them for their favorites. We want to make sure that we can pick books <laughs> that we as adults love. And something we kind of realized early on is books that parents love aren't always. <laughs> the right. books that kids love. And we want to be books that kids keep on asking um, to read at night. And so that's what this this team of uh, parent readers or fa- families do for us is kind of tell us what books our kids keep on going back to. And um, and there's not, there's not really a matrix yet. We're so new that we haven't, um, we're kind of just kind of picking our favorites of the hundreds of hundreds and thousands of books that we're going through, but there's no like, other, I mean, I'm sure there's criteria that we all have in our heads. We just haven't written it down yet. Yeah. Um, and and I think if and there are books like, for example, Katie and the Big Snow, which was which was which was written 75 years ago. Um, the there's these sections where there's a fireman and a mailman and a, a doctor, and the pronoun is he. And so if you have a book that was written 75 years ago, that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. But we've made sure in the discussion questions that we include in every book box to bring up like, hey, like 
you, as you'll notice, all the pronouns are he, like a parent, you could change this if you want or talk to your kids about it. Um, because I think the literature and children's literature, will, they'll always be problematic aspects of it as art we grow and change as a society. And so we're not looking for perfect books. Um, we're looking for books that start awesome conversations. And for the most part, when we pick books that are <laughs> 95% awesome, and then sometimes right. there's a few sentences that we, we want to bring up with parents. Yeah. Yeah. And it's part of having, and that's part of the, the deal. We want, we want to inspire um, conversation in households. I love that. I, m- my, I was a teacher and both in my house, tiny human books and in my classroom, um, my husband and my t- teaching staff always make fun of me because I will literally just cross out words in books and write the ones that I want. Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. So there's, yeah then whoever is reading to this child is reading the book that I want read. Right. Um, and sometimes it's even like if I, I was starting to see that there would be female characters in the book, but it would be like, the gal driving the pink dump truck or mm-hmm. whatever. And so we would just switch that up and then somebody else would be driving the pink one and she was driving just like little things like that, that I think are just small messages that we continue to send to tiny humans that add up over time. Yep. Yeah. Um, 100%. That's, that's awesome. I love your, <laughs> that you're advocating also for changing the books. Uh, the, one of the big missions, and this is not something we really talk about publicly much, but one of, so there's a lot of folks who do really amazing work. We Need Diverse Books being um, uh, the, the kind of biggest and most well-known one of diversifying uh, the world of children's literature. And they're doing so um, kind of by um, writing and advocating for more diverse books to be written. And we also feel like we're part of that movement, but from the demand side. So our belief is that if we're with our club growing, um, we are sending a very strong message to publishers that we only buy books of a certain type. And if we're buying <laughs> thousands of books, um, that, that that can change how, what they're deciding to publish, how they're deciding to publish. And maybe they'd put, you know, they wouldn't have that girl in the pink truck. Uh, they'd have, you know, she'd be in another color truck. So that's part of the the grand vision too. And it's starting, I mean, nobody has <laughs> published a book just for us yet, but publishers know what we do and do not like. And I think buying power um, means a lot. This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. Active Skin Repair uses a molecule called hypochlorous acid, which mimics our natural immune response to cleanse, soothe irritation, reduce inflammation, and support healing. We've been loving Active Skin Repair for all the cuts and scrapes that show up in the active toddler life, Sage loves that there's both the spray version, but also a cream version. He likes to get to choose which one he's going to do. He calls it the magic cream. And it's been so great for taking care of Mila's neck rash now that she's full on teething. Can we get a minute for a teething three and a half month old? What in the world? Active Skin Repair has thousands of five-star reviews and the ingredients so safe and clean, they can be used from the youngest member of the family to the oldest. Keeping it simple with one soothing solution for all your family's skin health needs. 
Visit www.activeskinrepair.com to learn more about Active Skin Repair and to get 20% off your order, use code VILLAGE. That's www.activeskinrepair.com, code VILLAGE for 20% off your order. It's so frustrating to spend the money and effort to buy your kids clothes just to have them grow out of the size within a week or have your kids complain that they itch, pinch, or just aren't comfortable. If you're with me on this, you've got to check out Posh Peanut. Their sensitive skin-friendly clothes are made from viscose from bamboo, stretch with your kid as they grow, and they're also made to last. Posh Peanut makes thoughtfully crafted, super cute clothing for kids and families. It is the softest thing, y'all. The design is all done in-house with different patterns, and it came in the mail, and I was like, oh my gosh, I want to wear this for myself every day. Their Lux women's pajamas and robes were all that I wanted to wear postpartum for nursing and hanging out on the couch with Mila. It helps so much that the fabric is breathable and chemical-free, which means they're delicate against Mila's sensitive skin, too. And I totally get why Posh Peanut is loved by over 1 million parents. Right now, Posh Peanut is offering our listeners 20% off your first order with promo code VILLAGE. Go to poshpeanut.com village and use promo code VILLAGE for 20% off your first order. That's poshpeanut.com village, promo code VILLAGE. Yeah, we we the consumers can drive this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's great. So when you look at messages that you think are important to send to these tiny humans in terms of raising feminists, I guess what parents who are listening today, what would your suggestions be, even for oh, sorry, even for um, people who don't, aren't necessarily like looking just in books, but in terms of in conversation with their tiny humans. I know that's a huge part of your book club is that it's not just about reading the book. It's about having conversations outside of the book. What, what should we be paying attention to that you've noticed? Yeah, that's a good, that's a really good question. Um, so I think this, something that we talk about a lot on our blog and is, is how important it is to listen to your um, child's questions and allow like space and time for those to come up because with really hard, so we just wrote a guide on how to talk to your kids about immigration on our blog. And for really difficult conversations like that, I think a, a lot of, we don't, <laughs> we don't know what our kids are thinking. And so one of the things that we talked about in that blog is how important it is to introduce um, the topic and then pause for questions and keep on keep tabs on what kids are asking about and how they're thinking about it. And so that's um, you know encouraging questions, um, bringing up something, and I mean that that that's like the critical thinking skills that I think is probably the most important as we go forward, right? Is that because there's going to be a lot of information that's presented in having our kids ask questions of us as parents and educators um, and of each other is going to be, and having that dialogue uh, is something I think this this country is is lacking at the moment. Um, so yeah, I think the that's why every single one of our books comes along with 10 discussion questions. And I think 
that asking questions is important and then also pausing and asking your kids what kind of questions they have too um, is it's just all part of having the conversation. So that's the that's the biggest and kind of first thing I would say. And the second thing I'd say is to go back to this conversation we've been having about how how tiny and small all of these gendered things are in all our, our lives. And it's it's maybe not possible to catch all of them, but to be aware and and yeah, and ask your kid questions like, how do you feel about the girl driving the pink truck? Does that you know? It, it's it starts in, in questioning the tiny things. Um, I, yeah, for your, for, for ourselves as parents and educators and also asking kids how they feel. And I think we can't, we can't, unfortunately, we can't change the world so that everything, Hmm. at some point kids, I don't know. And I don't, you might know, may know more at what age, um, but we can't keep them from learning that they can do anything they want and there's ways that the world are set up that, that will make things harder or easier. And I don't think we want to hide that. Um, I think it's important to have conversations about it. Yeah. In my episode with Tristan on gender, he says mm-hmm. that like really resonated with me about um, how we have to prepare kids for the world that we live in right. and then encourage them to change it, right? Like, and, and be there right with them, wanting to change it and, and supporting that change and innovation and thought. Um, but first they have to understand the world they live in mm-hmm. <laughs> before they know what to change. Um, yeah, that's what I said. Yeah, no, and I was like, oh, yes. <laughs> because I want to create this little bubble, right? That's, it's not real. Um, right. And right. yeah, no, I think that's, that's very important. I, yeah, there's... Go ahead. Sorry. A lot of my no, you're fine. A lot of my work is in emotional development, and I created this emotion processing method with a colleague, and um, we just wrapped up research on it. So I've just been like living in this world of emotional intelligence, and I run these uh, parent support groups called Tiny Humans Big Emotions, where I gather with small groups of parents, and we just we just go into like parenting challenges, and almost mm-hmm. all the time it's coming back to emotional development, right. and my message to every single group, there's one thing that is consistent throughout every group I've ever done. It's that we're talking too much Mm -hmm. and we need to pause and not fill the silence so that we can be present to their questions and comments. And then we can pause and genuinely respond. Yeah, that's very well said. Yeah, I think that that's explaining. There's kind of been this conversation on our Instagram about um, what's happening at the border uh, and families being separated, and um, and I think there's parents who either don't. I, I'm I'm generalizing, but the two sides are let's talk about all of it mm-hmm. and let's not talk about it at all. And what we've been trying to. Um, introduce is how like let's ask questions about it yeah Mm -hmm. yeah let's find that happy medium where we talk about it a little bit and then we chill and let kids process (laughs) yeah and paul i love i love i love the idea of of pausing um especially with how emotional um yeah what's happened at the border has been for everybody yeah and i think when we pause with tiny humans we can do a quick like reflection for ourselves of is this my thing or is the child bringing this up Mm -hmm. right like am I stepping in here with my own feelings and thoughts that they're not having yet or is this something they're bringing to my attention 
so that we're not projecting something else onto them, right? That right. we can let them kind of come to us with this too. Yeah, um, so well said. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's hard. <laughs> so much easier to say than to do, mm-hmm. um, especially when you're just like in it with the with the kiddos. Uh, but I think being able to pause and, and look at that. One thing that I think starts from such a young age, well, two things that come to mind actually, are what feelings we allow from different genders. Um, uh, right. Something that we, this was a part of our research was, um, you know, are we letting boys feel mad and girls feel sad, but not vice versa? Mm-hmm. Are we quick to stop one or the other? And there isn't a wrong answer here. And I think this is uh, one thing that I found is that we tend to jump and be like, no, I don't care what they feel. But when we stop and reflect, like, we do have a bias and that's okay. Everybody has biases across the board. Right. We have to be mindful of what our bias is. Yeah. It's uh, yeah. There's a lot of awareness uh, of your kids, but really how much of yourself too, in raising your kids to notice that those, those little things that are happening when, when emotions come up. Totally. Yeah, exactly. And, and how we respond really matters. Uh, I was in a meeting this school year with my teaching team and I'm a rape survivor. And so one thing that for me is, is, is really important with these tiny humans is this message of consensual touch. Mm-hmm. And it starts so young. And so I, but I was in this meeting and I was reflecting on the fact that I am quick to be right next to my little toddler boys when they're rough and tumbling with kids so that when a kid's face changes or a kid says no, or when it's no longer consensual, I'm right there to pull the boy off. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't doing that with the girls. And I noticed this about myself and I was like, all right, guys, I need like your help here. Like this Mm -hmm. is something I'm going to work on and I am now mindful of. I want to send the same message here that consensual touch across the board is is the only kind of touch we're going to have here. But I was only doing it for boys because that was my bias. Uh, and I think just being mindful of your bias is huge. It's the first step. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, that's such a good uh, like story and way to put it. I appreciate you sharing. Yeah, there's so many little... <laughs> There's so many ways that gender comes up uh, and these tiny ways that we just, we haven't thought about because it's been with us forever. And I, I think that it, it's with all different, all, all different, all the different ways we identify come up in these ways. And I will say that gender is something that I think, <laughs> at least I can speak for myself that only I am really like fully seeing post-election, like I'd said, how many tiny ways um, this comes up. Yeah. And, and just how normalized some things are that I, I was not aware of, right. I was living in my bubble a little too much, maybe. Um, I, another thing that I, I think is huge be outside of like the bias of what we let ourselves see or, or what, what we let tiny humans feel, um, is this idea of like bossy versus leadership that starts so young. So I work with infants and toddlers and we were, we would already see either just messages kind of in the classroom. So I was in a a teaching classroom where our head teachers, all the masters and then our teaching fellows uh, have a degree in early ed. And then we also have college students who don't have a degree or are not in early ed. They're like work study students and um, kind of coming from any discipline. And so I got to see 
a number of different adults with different backgrounds interact with my tiny humans. And uh, one thing that was just glaringly obvious that we had to end up having a conversation as a whole teaching team about was that uh, when a girl would lead play, so child-led play by a female, there was a different perception than when boys would lead play. And the way that we talked about it afterwards, and it, it reflected this bigger conversation of being bossy versus having leadership skills. And we often assign different labels to different genders here. Yeah. And did you see a difference in somebody's training and how they uh, did or did not see those cues with group play? Honestly, no. I think yeah. like <laughs> what we really saw was just like once we had the conversation and people were a little more mindful of it, then we started to see change. And this is actually a conversation in early childhood across the board, um, since most early childhood educators do not have a degree in early ed. Um, but what we're finding is that doesn't necessarily matter. What matters is like what your training is beyond that, right? right. So are, are, what, it, what are you being intentional about in the classroom? Yeah, I love that. Because I think there's a way, I, I mean, I had a lot of nervousness and I mean, I studied economics in college and I, there's this nervousness of like, I don't know, I don't, am I, <laughs> what gives me the right to run a feminist company? And I think that this is exactly what we want to impart on our families too, is there's not, there's like this really scary thing about, you know, knowing enough to be able to raise a feminist and I think, like you said, with this example of um, varying levels of uh, experienced teachers with kids, it's about, you know, it's just about being open <laughs> and willing to mess up and see it and try again anyway. And it's that it, you know, the, yeah. It, yeah. It, it, there isn't just one shot. <laughs> you get to go back and do it again, uh, you know, with different lessons. And I also... Like you, it really starts though with this self-awareness, right? To know like, oh, this is the message I just sent. <laughs> That's not what I was going for. How can I have that conversation differently either next time or later? Or how do I come back to this? Right. Right. Um, I had a parent just last night, actually, I was chatting with who has been having a hard time in conflict with her kids. When her tiny human gets really upset and is screaming, she would find herself screaming. And she's like, well, now, like, how do I get out of this, right? Like, how do I, how do I break that cycle? And one thing that I think is huge is that, like, it's never too late to break that cycle. It's right. never too late to be like, oh, I'm going to do this differently because I want to be intentional about it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and I, I think especially with, communicating about gender. I mean, when I, my husband, when I met him was already a feminist. He was raised by three women and a, and a dad and he had no choice. And uh, he, but he still has said like, he's learned so much more by just coming home to me every day and hearing my perspective as a woman. Um, and so I think like being open to the fact that you, it's never too late to learn this and see someone else's perspective. And I would say for me, especially in a place of race, in a race conversation, I have learned so much since the election that it's yeah. almost embarrassing, right? That I'm like, Alyssa, yeah. we're so oblivious. To <laughs> and like, what? But I can't take that back. But what I can do is choose how to respond now. Right. I, I, yeah, I feel the exact same way. Yeah, there's some embarrassment of how I could have 
gone this long without realizing. And at some point, I just have to be kind with myself too, because it's going to keep happening. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We don't know all the things. (laughs) No. And I think that, yeah, I mean, like, I'll be the first to say that I I am both sexist and racist because from birth, this is what, you know, this is where I've grown up. And so there, I have to challenge that every day. Mm -hmm. And, um, and as a white female, there's certain things yeah, I do and do not have to look at. And so, yeah, the, the choice is looking at them. Yeah. So I think it starts with this, this self-awareness to say like, okay, this is what I'm working with. This is where I am right now. And when it comes to raising the tiny humans, that self-awareness is the first step, but it also takes a certain level of, I think, like mindfulness of what, how to respond in a way that is inclusive. Mm-hmm. Um, that I think people are yearning for, at least like the, the questions that I was getting, the biggest one was just like, so what should I be doing differently? Right. <laughs> right? Like, what should I be mindful of to do differently? Um, how do I, you answer, how do you answer that question? Yeah, I think it's just like paying attention, like we said, to what kids are really talking about and asking and doing a little quick reflection for yourself of, hmm, is that? does that sound equal to me? Right. Or is are so for instance, one of the questions was like, all right, what about these like mean girls that are four years old in my daughter's preschool class who are like girls only, or you have to have X, Y, and Z, or you can't be a part of this group or whatever. Like, how do we address that um, in a way that is inclusive. And I actually was like, well, first I would be working with my kid on not needing their validation to feel whole because that's a game you can play for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. It's looking for someone else's validation. Um, And I would, but if I was the teacher in this classroom, I would be working with the, with the quote unquote mean girls in this scenario of just kind of addressing like general kindness and respect. Um, I think that respect for me is not a choice. Um, it's something I expect from tiny humans, not just for me, but for everybody and for our things. And um, I think we often shy away from the conversation because it's uncomfortable. And sometimes we have to live in the uncomfortable conversation, right? That like, if we're in a classroom and a black child walks over to these girls that are playing and they say, no, you can't play with us because you're black. Then I'm not going to say, no, everybody gets to play. Instead, we're going to talk about what just happened, right? We're going to talk about the, the race issue here instead of just brushing it off because it's uncomfortable. Right. We think we have to get comfortable having the uncomfortable conversation because kids need that from us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, the we and kind of a we surveyed our uh, book club members, and the number one reason that folks didn't um, like bring up difficult conversations at home was simply because they didn't know how to have them. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I think that I think there are little opportunities. Um, I think books provide them. I think playing with other kids can provide them. Being out in the world uh, can too. To like to lean into it instead of. <laughs> instead of brush it off, which is hard. It's really so hard. 
And there's no right way, right? There isn't mm-hmm. like a, ooh, let me pull up this how-to guide real quick before we have this conversation. It, it, yeah. That doesn't exist. We just have to be uncomfortable and know that it's okay if we don't say it 100% right. We can go back and talk about it again. This is another thing that that Tristan brought up in that gender episode where like, we don't, it's not a one-stop shop here where we say it once and that's it. That's our only chance. We can go back and say, you know what? The other day we were talking about this. I was thinking about it. Here's something else I'd like to talk about. Here's another way to think about it. Whatever. We get, we get to try again if we want. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. And, um, and I think what, and having the difficult, uh, so I grew up really not liking difficult conversations. I think my mom um, is, uh, yeah, in a household that like did not like confrontation mm-hmm. uh, for better or for worse. And I think that um, that's something that I'm challenging now and working on now. Actually, Jennifer Lawrence, I just read an interview with her and she said, <laughs> which gave me a little bit of pause that when she, on her like 26th birthday, she decided that she wasn't going to not speak her mind because it made somebody uncomfortable uh, and that it was worth having the like awkward conversation following as as long as she got Mm -hmm. to speak her mind. And I think that that's, you know, that's something that um, I'm only training that muscle now and what a gift uh, to kids to be, to, to like know what difficult conversations feel like and yeah. And, and lean into them and have them be okay. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Being back to work after maternity leave has been so good and frankly, so hard. I love what I do and I missed collaborating with my team while I was out and it's been a tough transition. The combination of a packed schedule and still being the milk machine for Mila Bean, it's hard to juggle everything. I feel so grateful for my weekly therapy hour. Sometimes I'm just holding so much and I need a safe space to let it out and get it off my chest. I've noticed that when I don't release it, it comes out anyway, but usually in ways that aren't aligned with how I want to show up in the world. BetterHelp is such a convenient, flexible option for parents who just can't take the travel time to get to an in-person therapy visit. It's entirely online. You can show up in your jammies, always a win in my book, and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and you're on your way to feeling heard. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash voices today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash voices. Hey, are you a parent of a teenager? Are you feeling overwhelmed about how to be what they need while also holding limits and boundaries that keep them safe? Are you tired of conversations that negate how messy this season of parenting is? Well, I've got you. My name is Casey O'Rourke. I am a positive discipline trainer, parent coach, and the host of the Joyful Courage podcast. Every week I come to you with an interview, digging into tough topics with experts I trust and solo shows that go deep into the personal growth and mindset needed to raise teens in a way that grows them into confident, capable young people. I am not afraid of getting real about the intersection of conscious parenting and the teen years, while also bringing in vulnerability, humor, and lightness. I'm walking the path with you and honored to serve. Listen to Joyful Courage on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you consume podcasts. Right. And 
for the kids, there's a good chance it's not uncomfortable for them. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Right. It's only really uncomfortable for us. Although I did have a kid in the car once I was, he had been rude to his teacher and I was picking him up from school to bring him home and <laughs> he's four years old. And the, when I went to pick him up, the teacher, she was a teacher at my school and we were friends. She was like, just FYI, like today he was pretty disrespectful. Like I said, like, this is not, this isn't, just not a choice for me. And so I was like, okay, cool. We'll chat about it on the way home. She gave me some examples throughout the day. And so when we were driving home, I was like, hey, bud, like there's something you want to talk about. And I think driving is an awesome time for this because you don't have to look at each other, which is something I wish we would stop making kids do is look at us because it's a lot for kids to process both our words and our emotions at the same time. They're reading our face and Mm -hmm. trying to process our emotions at the same time that they're processing our words. So I love car conversations, but I asked him like how he was feeling that day, you know, how he slept to see like maybe he was in, or maybe like in a rough place emotionally, something's going on and everything like checked out. And so I was like, okay, so here's what I want to talk about. I talked about respect in general and just how even if we're hungry or we're tired or we're feeling mad, that we have to be kind and respectful. We can still talk about things that make us feel mad and we can do it in a respectful manner. And just explained like what that meant, like four-year-old fashion. And he's quiet, he's taking it in. And all of a sudden he goes, I hate this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, you know what, bud, me too. I hope that we don't have to keep having it. I hope that we can just bring kindness and respect when we're talking to other people and to ourselves. And that it's not something we have to keep talking about. But I think for the most part, like, that's not the norm, that they hate this conversation. Right. I think right. mostly they're like, oh, okay, like interested in learning about the world in a different way. And we've been taught to feel uncomfortable here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The other thing I think of, uh, there there have been a lot of studies of um, like reading physical books versus reading eBooks and one of the things there's actually you know there's it, there's not tremendous reasons to read uh well minimizing screen time is one but one of the other reasons to go with physical books is um that you're physically closer to each other when you're reading a book because you can't see it from many angles you have to be like looking at the page together and so it's like closer um family time physically closer family time and the other thing i just thought of is how cool whether you're reading an ebook or a uh, paper book, that you're both like driving, you can be talking and having a conversation, but not requiring eye contact. Yeah, I love that. That's awesome. Actually, I love that you guys in your Instagram stories will do like a read through of the book, and I-, I love it because I think it it's good to see like there are so many different r- ways to read kids' books, right? And sometimes that's a kid sitting in your lap. Sometimes it's that they're playing. And you're reading because they need that movement in order to process. Or, um, you know, sometimes I have a group of kids and everyone's sitting around me and I'm showing them in a different way. But I love that you guys like demonstrate the read throughs. And sometimes it's like very real of like (laughs) a kid who's kicking or moving or whatever. And I, I don't think that reading to kids always looks like them just sitting in one spot. Angels. Yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. Yeah. Um, in fact, I think for some kids, it's harder to process if they're not mm-hmm. moving in some way. Um, yeah. Cool. Well, so as 
we kind of go forward here, what are ways for people to connect with you? And can you also maybe speak a little bit about um, what the different subscriptions look like? I know that's something that's evolved that I'm just sure. About. Yeah. And it continues to evolve. We're, we're so based on what parents want that it'll, it'll continue to evolve. Um, so uh, we're very active on Instagram. We're at little feminist book club on Instagram, also Facebook, same uh, at little feminist book club and our website's littlefeminist.com. So we have um, a very active blog, which you can find on our website. And we have two different types of subscriptions, uh, which are kind of morphing as we speak. So the like the basic offering is our book club. And so that comes with um, one to two books a month. It's either two paperback books or one hardcover book uh, a month. And you can choose um, how long you want to receive the description, how often you want to receive the book. And we um, every book comes along with uh, discussion questions, a hands-on activity, and DIY ideas that you can do at home. The rationale, uh, the, just being, there's a lot of research on how important it is to take what you're learning in books and um, be doing hands-on activities with those same lessons and another opportunity to talk about uh, the themes that were covered in the in the book. So then we have kind of an add-on where you can add um, a toy. Uh, They're mostly like educational tools, kind of more than toy, that goes along with that book also. And that comes with another um, kind of bigger hands-on activity. And so, for example... Um, our book this month is, well, actually we'll do last month was a book about Jane Goodall. And so our book club had a scavenger hunt and DIY binocular activities and discussion questions. But then the add-on club came with a magnifying glass and uh, like a scavenger hunt bag to put your treasures. And so those are the two options. You can kind of do the simple book club with just book and paper activities. And that's, um, 20 bucks a month. And then for $35 a month is the more expensive is the, um, book club with, with toy. And what tends to happen is the, the book club with the toy is a very popular gift item from grandparents or aunts and uncles. Yeah. That, that was my gift to her. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, yeah. And so parent, yeah, it's, it's a great gift. And what I, what we hear is that parents, uh, love the idea of it and their kids love it. And they just feel like they don't need more trinkets (laughs) at home, even if it is a really awesome magnifying glass. So what tends (laughs) to happen is people will start on a more expensive club as a gift. And then the parents will continue with the book club. Yeah. That's awesome. What, uh, what are you guys cooking up? Anything beyond the book club? Kind of what's in the in the in the works for you? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, so it's interesting you brought we brought we talked about both consent and there's one other topic and a book club. There's a we're definitely working on it like a consent box. Oh gosh, there's another one that came up in our conversation and I can't remember. So we're working with lots of book boxes. We're expanding to two-year-olds. So we have a two to three-year-old book club uh, that'll be out in August. And I love that. Yeah. So we'll have uh, many more ages and um, next year we hope to go up to 10. So right now the book club is for three to seven-year-olds and three to four-year-olds get different stuff than the uh, five to seven year olds get. What else are we cooking up? 
um, our blog, where our blog is going to be a place where um, we don't want to hide. <laughs> We're not in the business of like picking amazing books and then only giving them to people who pay us for the book club. Awesome. So our book club will be for our absolutely favorite favorite books. But um, our blog uh, has has already already has some great resources for talking about immigration, great books about adoption, uh, great books. What else do we have? Um, like our like favorite classic books. Um, so that's a, that's another thing to keep on checking on. And um, one thing that's exciting, and hopefully it goes over well, is we wrote a quiz um, to help people um, figure out where the gaps are on their bookshelf. Oh, that's very cool. I mm-hmm. think that's huge. Yeah. I, yeah, having run a classroom, like it's it was so regulated um, that so in Massachusetts is where my classroom was and it's the only state in the nation that has a department of early education and care. And so it also with that comes with a lot of regulations, but um, one of them was that they wanted to make sure that we had representation of diverse populations um, Uh from race. They go over. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And so one of the things was that like we had to have diverse books yeah. And it was awesome. It kept us on our toes. It made sure that we were representing all populations and not just the population we were serving, um, right. which I think is common that we'll be like, oh, who's in this classroom? Great. There's some German speakers. So we'll have a German book here or whatever, but then we don't go beyond the population we're serving. So then people aren't exposed to anything else. Um, and but now that I don't have that, nobody's like regulating <laughs> the books that I have. I think it's awesome that you guys have a quiz that can essentially do that for me. Yeah. One thing that parents have, it's funny, it's been a request of a few families in our book club. They're like, I kind of want to be able to pick the book that I get. And then immediately after they say, oh, never mind. Like, I like that I, <laughs> they like that they're like, we're taking care, like every book is different than the next one. We're not right. going to have two books about um, and, and that the sometimes having somebody else kind of watch your back <laughs> on yeah. um, the, the diverse books that are on, like books. These, we pick books that we're pretty sure aren't on people's bookshelves. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. and one thing that I found hard, uh, especially in infant toddler, but even just across the board, is finding books that aren't like I have two moms, right? Yeah. But rather just like a story about someone who also has two moms. <laughs> yeah, it's not something we talked about tons, but it's actually one of the biggest problems that we have and want to fix. And the grand, grand scheme is that we will start, um, but it'll take us a couple of years just to, to build up, um, is, to, is it for us to start publishing book, books ourselves. Because um, we'll actually run out of books. <laughs> Surprisingly, right. we will run out of books that we love at some point. And one of the reasons is that a lot of the uh, diverse books out there are, it doesn't normalize diversity. The book is about the diversity. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so what are you telling like African-American girls if the only books that they read that feature a character that looks like them, it, that woman is you know, escaping from slavery, fighting for her civil rights, or she's an athlete or a musician. And right. it's, it, um, so that's the other big issue we're having now is a book, uh, books that feature somebody who has a different uh, ability level and the book isn't about their ability level. It's very, very hard to find books that are normalizing and it's so, so important. Do you have a favorite <laughs> first one that comes to your mind? 
for for which topic? <laughs> I would say the like just in general, like an inclusive book that you're like, this is just my I I love it. I recommend it all the time. So I I can't say enough good things about Jabari Jump. So it's a book we've talked about a little bit where it's it's just a little black boy who goes to the swimming pool with his family. Um and him and his dad have this cool um like emotional conversation about facing your fears and um, so that's one of the first, that's something that we talk about. Another amazing one that just came out, which is kind of funny. It's like a similar, well, it's called Julian is a Mermaid. Um, that's another amazing one. Um, what else on the, it's hard, they're really, really hard to find. We yeah. kind of, we haven't done like an official study, but I think of the books out there um, that cover some type of diversity, 80% of them are historical. So they're about mm-hmm. somebody famous or something about some historical time and like and then there's a few that we call um uh, normalizing is uh no validating so there's 80 percent are in the historical category maybe like 15 percent are validating so it's kind of you know it's like take a book about an immigrant where it's about them making dinner so it's not really about immigration but it kind of is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there's about 15% of the books that we look at and normalizing is like five on five percent on a good day. They're very hard to find. Um, very, very hard to find. My favorite, that's, those are alarming statistics. Yeah. Um, <laughs> my favorite tiny human book um, that I think I would classify as normalizing. I was listening and I was like, where would this fall? Mm-hmm. Um, is we all sing with the same voice. Oh yeah. Yeah. That one would. I, I think so. Yay. <laughs> yeah. Just like the picture is represented, if you glance through it and none of it is like, this is my right. family, whatever. Like it's, right. yeah. And, and I, I love it. My teachers actually just gifted it to me when I left. Yeah. Um, it's really hard. Another book we just, um, uh, Raising Dragons. It's an older book, um, but it's a black girl who was a farmer and stumbles across a dragon egg in her farm. And so that's really lovely. So yeah, we, we, we look for those books that keeps us up. We, we spend a lot of time <laughs> for books like that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, awesome. Well, thank you so much. So the best places for people to connect with you, Brittany? Um, probably. It, oh, f- me personally. Oh, or a little <laughs> our, feminist. Our, our Instagram. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm awesome. on, I, and actually I'm not really on my personal Instagram anymore anyway. It's all work. Uh, and then our email address is at the bottom of littlefeminist.com, but it's hello at littlefeminist.com. Awesome. Thank you so much for this. It's so lovely to chat feminism with you. Thanks for doing yeah, the work that you're pleasure. doing. Thanks so much, Alyssa. Thanks for tuning in to Voices of Your Village. Check out the show notes for this episode and all past episodes at voicesofyourvillage.com. If this podcast has helped you on your journey, please take two minutes to leave a review on iTunes. Thanks for joining forces with us to cultivate this modern parenting village. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, 
a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free.